0: The reading this morning is Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, and can be found on page 929 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: It's great to have you with us. Uh, my name is Richard, if we haven't met, and uh, we're back in this uh, little book of Jonah, as uh, Sarah and Pete have said. Uh, Jonah is slightly hidden in the Old Testament, just a couple of pages, hard to find. Uh, if you are struggling for it, on I mean, page 929 would be, uh, but in the future... Uh, the the 12 minor prophets, did you know this? The 12 minor prophets, the first five of them have O's in their names and the the last seven don't. So if you're looking for Jonah and you're in a prophet that doesn't have an O, you need to turn left. Uh, Five O's, seven don't. If that comes up in a pub quiz ever, I'll be astonished. Uh, But there you are. You're welcome for that. Uh, But uh, more usefully, let's consider what the Lord has to say to us through uh, Jonah 3 and shall we pray together as uh, we come to it? And Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for that grace of which we've just sung, the grace which has brought us to life and changes us and is leading us home. And in this chapter, as we read of your grace encountering a city, a great city and a wicked city, please would you leave us all the more astonished by the magnitude and the wonder, the, the graciousness of your grace. Amen. What does it look like when God is at work in a place? What does it look like? we will put that another way. Uh, we talk here about uh, reach the city. Uh, we have uh, reached the city. We, we gather to pray for reaching the city. Uh, some of the money that's given to our church goes to uh, different groups and people and projects trying to reach the city. People come to Manchester from all over the world seeking to uh, reach this city, and we send people from here to other cities trying to reach them. But what does that actually mean? What does that look like? What would it be for a city to be reached? What would be the difference and the impact, and what would you see? Well, Jonah 3, uh, that was read for us, gives us one example in the Bible of a city being reached. And will give us something of a, a vision of what we might long for and pray for and work for here in Manchester and in cities maybe that we've come from, cities around the world. A city being reached. And the way Jonah 3 is written, I've been thinking during this week, it's a bit like, have you ever played that game where uh, on a piece of paper someone draws uh, someone's head, and then you fold over the paper so you can just see the neck? and then someone draws their body, and then you fold over the paper so you can just see the waist, and someone draws the legs. And then you sort of unfold it, and you get this ridiculous character that emerges with you know, sort of a firefighter's hat and a, a business person's suit and a, a ballerina's tutu, and you've got this sort of odd combination of things thrown together because no one knew what anyone, anyone else was drawing. Jonah 3 almost feels a bit to me like that. Not thrown together chaotically, not that the author sort of took a lunch break and couldn't quite remember where they'd left off and sort of, oh, this'll do... Uh, but written deliberately with these big swings and surprises to to surprise us with God. We've asked the question these last uh, few weeks in Jonah, how big is your God? And Jonah 3 wants to surprise us with God's character and uh, with what he does in this story. Uh, We'll see, a couple of surprises as we go through, but uh, we're going to come with Jonah to Nineveh. If you've got it in front of you, uh, the chapter starts, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Nearly an identical start to the beginning of Jonah, that time Jonah said no, but he's learned something in the sea and in the fish, and so this time Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a very large city. That's been emphasized through uh, the book of Jonah. Nineveh is a, a vast city. And as well, we're told in this book, a wicked city and a violent city. I was doing a little bit of reading this week. There are a couple of paragraphs I thought I might share with you of what it was like in Nineveh, but I realized it, it made my stomach turn enough just to read them. I didn't really want to read them out loud and subject you to that. Instead, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. Uh, this is uh, the Balawat Gate, or a, a reproduction of it, in the British Museum. Uh, you can see kind of the, some of the people standing next to it. Uh, these gates, in a city nearby to uh, Nineveh, another Assyrian city, uh, these gates 6.8 meters tall, Uh, the archaeologists reckon, and you can just see those strips sort of across them. We're going to zoom in on uh, one of those strips. Uh, These uh, metal bands that, uh, as you came into the city, this is the scene you'd be greeted with. Now, if you can't see the details, don't worry, you'll sleep better at night. But uh, this is what you'd uh, see. There's a a, a guy there who's had his hands and feet taken off. There's another guy who's been uh, stuck on a a pole, on a stake, as uh, the king watches on. And this is how the people of Nineveh and the surrounding cities wanted to greet people as they walked in. Just so you know, this is what we're like. And we don't like you. Let's get rid of those pictures. That was Nineveh that Jonah was walking into. This violent city, and we're told here a great city. Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. We're not quite sure whether those three days are kind of uh, you know, three days, you could walk through most cities in three days is that kind of, just going door to door would take three days there's that many people that you know, if you're sort of canvassing for a, a local uh, candidate or something, three days to go door to door or is it sort of talking about greater Nineveh you know, if you've heard of London Luton Airport, that sort of idea that you know, walking through London uh, might take three days if, if you had it on that scale either way it's this great city and Jonah goes a day's journey into the city to preach So he's one day in to enemy ground, one day into this city where people hate him and the nation he's from, one day into this city of getting looks from people as he passes by, quite possibly not finding somewhere to sleep that night, because he's not from around here, walking past gates like those and thinking, am I going to be the next one up on a stick? Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's all he says. And we're meant to contrast the size and the scale and the power of Nineveh with this puny little message that uh, Jonah speaks. Eight words in our English Bibles, five words in Hebrew, a five-word sermon that Jonah preaches to them. This great, powerful city, Jonah speaks five words to them. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then here's our first surprise that Nineveh repents. The Ninevites believed God. And you see how you kind of you can almost imagine someone writing that didn't know what had happened in the first paragraph. They'd imagined some, you know, great sort of powerful displays of of God's power, or they'd imagined a small city that was easily won over. But no no no, we're meant to see that this mighty city is brought to repentance by a five word sermon. It's a surprise that Nineveh repents. And not only the greatness of the city drives this home, but the the magnitude of their repentance. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he'd issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This great city brought entirely to its knees. Even the cows kind of wearing sackcloth on them in this sort of you know, almost pantomime comedic scene of, of corporate, citywide, universal repentance and uh, contrition. This city that's Uh, was known for its violence, giving up their violence. This city where uh, the powerful took what they could. Now everyone's wearing the same sackcloth, sitting in the same ash heap. You can't tell who's a noble and who's a beggar anymore. This huge city, completely turned around by a five-word sermon. Just as as an aside, really... um, Uh, Paul mentioned a couple of weeks ago Tim Keller's book on uh, the book of Jonah, which is a a helpful uh, little book, very readable, if you want to get hold of it, The Prodigal Prophet, it's called. Uh, He makes the point in this chapter, helpfully, that uh, there are some Christians who sort of enjoy preaching God's judgment. There are some Christians who want to be all about seeing cities changed and, and social transformation in the city. And Jonah 3 is about both. Jonah preaches God's judgment, 40 days then Nineveh will be destroyed, and, and celebrates this transformation of a city as the violence is put aside. And so if we are the kind of Christians who would gravitate towards one of those or the other, Jonah 3 would say, both, uh, come together in God's word. But really, that's an aside. I think mainly what we're meant to see here is just the power of God's word. This little five-word sermon that turns this great city Upside down. What about today? Could we imagine? Think of some of the great assemblies of today. Could we imagine that in the House of Commons, there are some Christian MPs in the House of Commons. Imagine one of them stood up in a debate and just had a five-word contribution to offer. The crucified Jesus is Lord. Could you imagine that that simple, brief, weak, proclamation of Jesus would bring 650 MPs to their knees in repentance before the Lord. What about our pathfinders and platformers in this morning? Imagine your school assembly. Uh, If your year comes together or if your whole school comes together, and imagine if someone spoke about Jesus. Could could that, just someone speaking about Jesus, be enough to turn uh, your school around and to change the way people behave? What about two weeks ago uh, on Eid? Uh, Out here in the park, we had uh, thousands of Muslims gathering to pray on Eid under that uh, call, Allah or Akbar. Allah is great. Is it possible? Could we believe that if someone had gone to the microphone and preached Jesus, that a whole crowd could have turned and been cut to the heart and repented? What about in places of violence, as at Nineveh is a violent place? What if someone did that in the Russian Federal Assembly or, or the Kremlin? What about, did you see the news yesterday? The, the guy in New York who went to a supermarket to shoot at black shoppers and streamed it to some sort of vile community online who wanted to cheer him on and watch. Is it possible that if someone got a webcam and preached to that group that Jesus is Lord they could be brought to repentance and put away violence. What about closer to home? If we think about the people we know who for years have known about Jesus and wanted nothing to do with him, or the people who've hurt us personally through violent actions or violent words, is it possible that the simple preaching of Jesus as Lord could change people, could bring them to repentance, could lead them to put away sin and violence? Jonah says it is. Because it happened. This great city, through a feeble sermon, brought to its knees. Actually, Jesus says it's even more likely now. Uh, we'll look at this passage in a couple of weeks' time as we sort of wrap up Jonah. But Jesus said, uh, Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now someone greater than Jonah is here. The preaching of Jesus has even more power than the preaching of Jonah. Jonah. It's not a promise that it will always happen. There will be times when God's word is preached and preached and preached and preached and seems to bounce off hard soil. But do we believe it could, that God's word has the same power today in Manchester as it did then in Nineveh to bring a city to its knees in repentance? That's our first surprise, that Nineveh repents. The power of God's word. And they repent, but they have no idea what's coming next. The King's Proclamation goes on, Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we won't perish. Who knows? God's told us we're going to be destroyed. Let's try this. Let's give it a go. What have we got to lose? Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll work. Maybe God will have compassion on us let's try it they certainly aren't there thinking that they deserve anything from the lord jonah certainly doesn't think they deserve anything from the lord that's very clear Uh, next week uh, we'll see in chapter four who knows they say and yet just as uh, sort of uh, simply as uh, as nineveh's repentance is described so is the lord's relenting when god saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways he relented and didn't bring on them the destruction he'd threatened. That's our second surprise, that God relents. This violent, wicked city. One day of mourning, and God relents from everything that he'd planned. There's no, uh, well, let's see you make it up to me. There's no, well, you know, I said 40 days, let's wait and see if this sticks. There's no, none of that. Simply the Lord relents at this first sign of uh, repentance and crying out to him. We have young kids at home. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's my job to tell one of them that they need to go and sit on the naughty step. They've done something wrong, and uh, they need to say sorry. And until they do, we can't sort of just carry on as we were, and they need to go and and sit and be apart from the family for a while until they can say sorry and come back. And it's it's part of my job to do that. and I do it because I think it's good for them. But I don't want to. And so I don't leave them sat on the steps, sort of until they've impressed me with their apology. I'm not waiting for, you know, calligraphy or just, uh, uh, you know, very often it's it's under the breath and it's sorry. Uh, but I just I just want something, any excuse to bring them back in, to the family, to, to bring them and sit on my lap and say, I love you. I'm just waiting for an excuse almost to do it, and and that's almost how God is uh, depicted here. When God saw what they did and turned from their evil ways, He relented, and He didn't bring on them what he'd threatened. In fact, the wording of verse 10, it's identical to earlier in the Bible in Exodus, when God's people, Israel, have made the golden calf, if you know that story, and God says he's going to punish them, and Moses prays for them. And this same wording, he relented and didn't bring on them the destruction he'd threatened. Nineveh, with one day of crying out to the Lord, gets the treatment that God's people get. He brings them in. He has compassion on them. He relents from what, he'd, uh, from what he'd warned them of. And again, what about today? Would we believe, think of some of those people and groups that I mentioned earlier. Would we believe that if they came to God through Jesus and asked for forgiveness, he would open his arms and welcome them into a seat in the table and a place on his lap. Treating them as he's always treated his people. Adopting them into his household. I don't know, maybe that feels uncomfortable in various ways. I do come back next week, Jonah 4. Jonah, will see, hates what happens in Nineveh. He's furious about it. And we'll see next week how the Lord deals with him in that. But is there something in us too that, that would love to hope that this could be true? That God could be as big as this. His word powerful enough to bring cities to their knees. And his heart big enough to bring anyone home into his family. And as we think about the, the places that uh, we've come from today. The families that we're a part of. The city. The cities that we're part of. Wouldn't this be a a vision and a longing and a drive for us to think, Lord, could you, could you again bring a city to you in repentance and welcome them in and there'd be a turning from violence and a turning from wickedness and a turning to the Lord and and then a forgiveness and a grace and an adoption and a welcome. They were left saying, who knows? As Sarah uh, said earlier in our service, That isn't something people need to say today. We don't know if God's word will bring people to repentance. In that sense, we say, who knows? Who knows what the preaching of the gospel will do? But if someone comes to the Lord Jesus, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. In that sense, we don't say, who knows, today. We know that anyone who comes to God through Jesus will find a home. And Jonah 3 tells us that however powerful, however wicked, however violent someone is, that could be them as they hear God's word.